The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Story City Church. Good morning, church. I'll be reading the scripture this morning. I will be reading John 1, 43 through 51. I'll be reading in English and in Czech. So if you can please stand with me for the reading of the scripture. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. He found Philip and told him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and so did, so did the prophets, Jesus, the son of Joseph, from Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathanael asked him. Come and see, Philip answered. Then Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said about him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you, Jesus answered. Rabbi, Nathanael replied, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus responded to him, do you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. Then he said, truly I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Now I will read it in Czech. Delšího dne se Ježíš chtěl vydat do Galileje. Našel Filipa a řekl mu, pojď za mnou. Filip byl z Besejdy, města Ondřejova a Petrova. Filip našel Natanaela a řekl mu, našli jsme toho, o kterém psal muži v zákoně a proroci, Ježíše, syna Josefova z Nazaretu. Co dobrého může být z Nazaretu, opáčil Natanael. Pojď se podívat, řekl mu Filip. Když Ježíš uviděl Natanaela, jak jde k němu, řekl o něm, hle, opravdový Izraelita, v němž není žádná lest. Odkud mě znáš? zeptal se Natanael. Viděl jsem tě pod fíkovníkem, řekl mu Ježíš. Ještě než tě Filip zavolal. Rabí, zvolal Natanael, ty jsi boží syn, ty jsi král Izraele, Ježíš mu odpověděl. Věříš proto, že jsem ti řekl, viděl jsem tě pod fíkovníkem? Uvidíš ještě větší věci. A dodal. Amen, amen. Říkám vám, uvidíte otevřené nebe a boží anděly, jak vystupují a sestupují na syna člověka. This is the word of the Lord. Oh, Sofam, how you guys doing this morning? That is terrible. Come on, we're celebrating. This is the last day of the year. This is it, right? We got Granada Hills in the house with us this morning, so welcome. Yeah, good. That's still bad. You guys are still, there. there's coffee out front in the break if anybody needs some. Well, good morning and welcome to the Burbank location of Story City Church. My name is Jared. I have the honor of being one of the pastors here. It's a privilege I hope that you had a wonderful Christmas and that you're finding at least a little bit of rest uh, for this next year. One of the values that we have, you've heard this already this morning, is that our story is God's story. I mean, we care about that word story so much, it's even in our name. But what do we mean when we say that our story is God's story? We believe that God has a plan and a purpose for each one of us. That, that plan and purpose is not only what's best for us, but also for his kingdom. That 
In this community, your story holds significance. And as you become a part of our family, your story becomes an integral part of our shared narrative because you bring something to the table. Who you are matters to God and to us. Now, our purpose as an organization across locations is to glorify God by leading communities like Burbank, Granada Hills, the Valley, Los Angeles, and beyond into healthy relationships with Jesus and people. Now, to do that, we have a couple emphases. Emphasize? Emphasizes? Emphases, sure. But we care deeply about foster care and adoption and about church planting. Those are our two majors, the things that we invest an inordinate amount of time, money, energy, effort, and resources into uh, because we believe that that's what changes community. It's what shows God's love to the people around us. And so we care very much that we raise up church planters and send out church plants so that more and more people can come to know and understand the incredible love of God and the gospel. And the gospel is that God himself entered into humanity to come rescue and renew all creation through the person and work of Jesus. Jesus is king of kings. He's Lord of lords. He's over all. He's above all. But he is with us in all. And having accomplished his task of making way for all things to be reconciled and renewed, he now advocates to the Father for us and sent the Holy Spirit to show us how to love Jesus and people. And that's the beauty of all of this is that we don't have to do this alone. It's not something that we, we sort of like trudge along and God isn't with us. God is actually with us on our mission and we get to learn how to do that together as a church. And that's the beauty of family. Amen? Amen is just the Christian word for yeah or yes or okay, right? So we're, we're all good. All right, let's get to our minute to mingle question for the day. So here it was. It was a nice simple question. Do you feel you have a high or low level of self-awareness and why? So high or low, what do you guys have? High. All low people say they have high. I'm just kidding. That's okay. Anybody would say I've got a low level of self-awareness. Okay, if you do, you're probably not aware anyway, so that's totally fine. Good. Why would you say that you've got a high level of self-awareness? What, what makes you say that? Therapy, Yes. Great reason to have high self-awareness. Somebody else has told you what you need to know. That's really good. What else? Aware of mistakes. Yep. That usually comes with age or experience. Sometimes you can have a ton of experience and still be young in age. So those two things don't necessarily correlate, but they're, they're very important. What else? Listening to other people's perspectives. Yep, that's a good one. What else? You're a people pleaser. That's a good thing to know. It's a good thing to know. All pastors are slightly codependent. We all want everybody to like us, and so that's a struggle that every pastor deals with, whether we admit it or not. Uh, so I, I can relate to that one. You know, the interesting thing about um, being self-aware is how much input it takes from other people. Isn't that fascinating? That to truly be self-aware, uh, oftentimes the answers to understand those things can actually come from outside of us. And so the people that are actually most self-aware are the ones most willing to listen, not to accept everything every person says, right? That's a different piece. That's not always healthy. But to listen to what other people say and accept that input. That's why therapy is so helpful because it helps us ask better questions of ourselves and have a better understanding and better self-awareness. But this year, as we come to a close, this is a relevant topic because many of us will be pondering what this next year will bring. 
Many of us will be looking back, uh, and, and as we face the reality of a new year, it sort of forces us to look back on the last year and go, was it good? Was it bad? We sort of evaluate our experiences and our decisions, both good and bad, and go, okay, do I want to make changes? And oftentimes, we find more questions than answers. That's not a bad thing unless we simply ignore the questions without processing and learning from them. Now, some of us will face these questions are true skepticism. Some of us will be like, you know, I just don't know if anything's going to change. I don't know if anything's going to be different. What's going to be different this year than I've faced in previous years? And it, and it can lead us to this place where this it leads to some frustration in our wrestling. Today we're going to be looking at the story of a man who was very much in that same place. He was pondering some of these similar questions. And Jesus enters right in the middle of his questions and changes things forever. For those that are taking notes today, this is our big idea. Because Jesus is, uh, I'm sorry, because Jesus knows who we truly are, he is the answer we truly want. Because Jesus knows who we truly are, he is the answer we truly want. We're going to see how Jesus is the answer to both our deepest questions and our deepest needs. So let's pray. And then we will jump back into this today. This morning, this prayer is adapted from the Puritan book of prayers. Father, empower us to serve you with deep respect and a reverence rooted in godly fear. As a spirit who demands truth from within, assist us in worshiping you sincerely and genuinely. Being righteous, prevent us from harboring sin in our hearts, indulging in worldly attitudes or seeking fulfillment in fleeting things. As we approach a time when earthly pursuits and possessions will lose their significance, at that moment, whether we've been rich or poor, successful or disappointed, admired or despised, will be inconsequential. What will truly matter is whether we've grieved over sin, passionately pursued righteousness, genuinely loved you, Lord Jesus, and taken pride in your sacrifice. May these pursuits be our primary concern. Instill in us the principles and attitudes that transform serving you into perfect freedom. Remove any sinful fear and shame from our minds so that with confidence and courage we can openly acknowledge the Redeemer before others. May we walk with him, embrace his reproach, zealously seeking his knowledge and being filled with his wisdom. In all things, may we turn to him for counsel, consult the scriptures for his guidance, and anchor our minds in his peace. We recognize that nothing can happen to us without his permission, appointment, and administration. We thank you and praise you, O God, who sees us. Amen. We're going to be in John chapter 1 again. Thank you, Zuzu, for reading both in English and Czech this morning. I got the English part down, cannot do the Czech, so I appreciate that part. For sure. Uh, We're going to be reading John chapter 1. Let's remind ourselves, 43 to 51, it says this. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. He found Philip and told him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and so did the prophets. Jesus, the son of Joseph, from Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathanael asked him. Come and see, Philip answered. Then Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said about him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me, Nathanael asked. Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. 
Jesus answered. Rabbi, Nathanael replied, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus responded to him, do you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. Then he said, truly I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. All right. We've got this brief interaction. This is really, uh, even by scriptural standards, a very small piece uh, of, of what's happening here. This is a very quick interaction between Jesus and a man named Nathaniel. Have you ever had a, a brief interaction that turned out to be a bigger deal than you thought it was? Yeah. Uh, uh, I remember one time I was in the San Diego airport. And I'm, I've already cleared security, and I'm standing there, and, uh, and I, I end up standing next to this guy, and he's super stressed, and his wife is hung up in security, right? And so he's just like, you could see that the, the, his mind was like, is this security's fault or my wife's fault? Like, I'm not sure, but we're going to miss our plane. But he's stressed, but he's really funny. And he was having, the, we started having this whole conversation, and we're just kicking it, we're talking, we're laughing back and forth, and we're joking. And uh, after a while, his wife makes it out of security debacle, it was their fault. And, uh, and they take off, and he's just like, hey, peace, whatever. And, and he leaves, and somebody immediately walks up to me, they're like, hey, what were you guys talking about? And I was like, I don't know, it was, we were just, laughing. It was just funny. I just, I thought it was funny. The guy looked like Richard Dreyfus, And they're like, you idiot, that was Richard Dreyfus. And I was like, oh, I just assumed like the Jaws theme song played when you met Richard Dreyfus. I don't know. Like I, I just, you know, I thought it like traveled with him somewhere. I just thought it'd be different. I have a lot of a friend, I have a lot of friends who are skeptical about Jesus. And this is exactly what Nathaniel's like. He's like, I'll meet this guy, sure, but like, I don't have any high expectations. I don't know what you're expecting, but I don't know what I expect. It's not much. And, and I, I appreciate Nathaniel because of that, because a lot of my friends are in that same place. Like, I just, I just don't know. But, but why does Nathaniel matter to us at all? And who is he? And why does this interaction have anything to do with, why is it even in the Bible? Author C.M. Kerr writes, although Nathaniel is mentioned by name only once again in the New Testament, where he is one of the seven who witnessed the appearance of the risen Jesus at the Sea of Tiberias in John 21.2, it's evident that the connection and companionship of Nathaniel with Jesus must have been much closer than just those two incidents would lead us to suppose. Accordingly, attempts have been made to identify him with other New Testament characters, the most commonly accepted being Bartholomew, who is actually one of the 12 disciples. So most scholars believe that, uh, that he is actually Bartholomew, um, and here's why. The principal arguments in support, the author writes, are, number one, Nathaniel's never mentioned by the synoptists, that means the other Gospels, uh, and Bartholomew is never mentioned by John, who further implies that Nathaniel was one of the 12 disciples in John 20, 24 to 26, and 21 too. Point number two, in the synoptist, the, uh, Philip is closely connected with Bartholomew as a list of apostles, uh, apostles, excuse me, and in John with Nathaniel, John 1.45. And number three, the fact is that most of the apostles actually had two names. Because they have two names, it was a very common thing, made for really confusing times um, uh, back in Jesus' day. Uh, so this is part of it. So we, we believe that this interaction is important, not just because it's like, hey, some dude named Nathaniel, but because this interaction with Jesus not only makes him a follower of Jesus, but makes him one of the 12. It's life-altering in its results. 
Now, in the first part of this interaction, you have this man named Philip, who uh, Jesus calls to be a disciple. And then Philip tells his friend Nathaniel, and, and he tells him, hey, we finally found the Messiah that Scripture has been pointing to and promising. But Nathaniel's response isn't like joy. It's not excitement. It's not like, yeah, this is great. No, he exudes skepticism, doubt, sarcasm. I love this guy. Verse 46, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathaniel asked him. And Philip answers, come and see. Now, Nathaniel's a scholar, and, and part of his skepticism comes, he's not just being a jerk, but it's because uh, in verse 45 it says, we found him, um, but, uh, sorry, I lost my notes just a second. Here we go. Uh, Nathaniel tells him in verse 45, hey, we found the Messiah. What that helps us understand, though, is that they were looking for him. They were looking for him. They were searching scripture of understanding when, where, and who the Messiah would be. And so Philip's statement to Nathaniel isn't, I think we might have possibly found somebody. Hey, I think we might have maybe found the Messiah. No, he says, this is the Messiah. We found him. But Nathaniel hears Philip say, we found the Messiah. And he hears him say, Jesus of Nazareth. And that's a problem because the scripture said that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And so they assumed that he would be in Bethlehem the rest of his life. And so Philip comes and tells him, hey, you've got to meet this rabbi. This rabbi has all the answers, these big questions that we've been asking for, we've been searching for, we've been looking for in the Messiah you got to meet this rabbi. He's got the big answers. And Nathaniel's like, hey, we have all these huge national and personal issues. And you say you found the Messiah, the one that is going to be the answer to everything we've been wrestling with. And he's from Nazareth? Nothing good comes from there. That's like people from L.A. saying, he's from Gorman? Nothing good comes from Gorman. And some of you are like, where's Gorman? And that's my point. Exactly. Nathaniel's rolling his eyes. Like, he's like, even if I misunderstood scripture and, and he was from Nazareth, like, like, it's Nazareth. Like, that's a whole lot of get or done jokes right there. Nazareth. It doesn't make sense. But Nathaniel has this, this moment, right? He comes, he meets Jesus, and a few minutes later, he's like, Rabbi, you're the son of God, you're the king of Israel. Like, what, what happened? For those taking notes, this brings us to our first observation for today. First observation for today is that Jesus answers our deepest questions. Jesus answers our deepest questions. In verses 47 to 49, we have this radical change. It says this. It says, Then Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said to him, Here is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me, Nathanael asked. Before Philip called you, when I saw you under the fig tree, I knew you, Jesus answered. Rabbi, Nathaniel replied, you are son of God. You are the king of Israel. So what happened under the fig tree? The truth is, we don't know. We don't actually know. The Bible doesn't tell us. Now, this is just Jared, not the Bible. Okay, I want to be really clear. This is just Jared's opinion, not the Bible. But I believe that Nathaniel was praying. I believe he's having a conversation with God. And whatever he and God were talking about, when Jesus meets Nathaniel, before they were even introduced, Jesus points out and says, I know who you are. And I know that conversation. And I know where you were when you had it. You were under the fig tree. And this interaction, I believe, is what Nathaniel goes, only God knew what was said there. And I believe that's how, why he makes this radical change. Okay, But again, we don't really know. What we do know is the Bible says that they were searching for the Messiah. 
Again, it's implied when they say they found him. He's searching. They're, they're looking for him. But why? The people of Israel, as has been a constant throughout history, were being oppressed, mistreated, and murdered at the hands of an occupying nation. In this case, it's the Roman government. But this, is, this has been history throughout, right? In the Old Testament, the book of Judges is 13 cycles of this. The people of Israel sin. They become enslaved and oppressed. They repent. They turn back to God. God raises up a rescuer, a redeemer. They come back and follow him, and then that cycle repeats. And it just shows that there's been a, a history of that. And that's not just the Jewish people. That's all of God's people. We all do that. And so here we have this time when the people of Israel are now being, again, oppressed and murdered and enslaved, and they're crying out to God for a Savior once again. They're going, God, where are you? We need you. Why won't you answer your promises? Why haven't you rescued your people as your scriptures have promised that you would do? And this is really the heart question that Nathaniel and Philip and others are asking, God, where are you in this moment? What are you going to do about this issue? Where is our help? And Jesus entering into humanity, he becomes the living fulfillment of Psalm 121, which says this. It's a song of ascents. I lift my eyes towards the mountains. Where will my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. Your protector will not slumber. Indeed, the protector of Israel does not slumber or sleep. The Lord protects you. The Lord is a shelter right by your side. The sun will not strike you by day or the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all harm. He will protect your life. The Lord will protect your coming and going both now and forever. This is the answer to the questions that they were asking. For those taking notes today, this brings us to our second and final observation for today. Jesus answers our deepest needs. Jesus answers our deepest needs. Throughout the, uh, the Gospels, Jesus often answers a question with another question. He so often does this. Somebody will come to him and, Rabbi, I've got this question, and Jesus will answer with a, another question. And he does this because generally the questions that we're bringing are not really the deep questions of our heart. Sometimes we think they're the big question on our minds, but Jesus says, you know, there is always a question deeper that I'm aware of, and I'm, I want to answer that question. And so Jesus gives us more of an answer than we're looking for because he knows who we truly are and what we truly need. I want to say that again. Family, this is for us. Jesus gives us more an answer than we're looking for because he knows who we truly are and what we truly need. See, in the case of Nathaniel and Philip, they're looking for rescue, but they're thinking too small. They simply want rescue from their current oppression. They simply want rescue from their current situation. And the Jewish people had been living under Ro the Roman Empire's rule for about a century at this point. And they had studied the writings of the prophets and were aware as their special status as God's chosen people. They believed that God would establish an eternal kingdom that would reign over all kingdoms. And they saw the Messiah, though, as a military conqueror, a rescuer who would establish the Jews as the most powerful nation on earth forever. But they thought almost everything else would stay the same. The systems and structures, everything would look normal. It would just be us on top. Now, a number of people had come and claimed to be Messiah and tried to kick out the Roman government, but here's the problem. Even through all their studies in Scripture, they missed something in who the Messiah was and what he had actually come to do. Zechariah 9.9 prophesies the Messiah will enter the city on a donkey, a sign of peace. 
In those days, military leaders would enter riding on a horse as a symbol of power and authority and status. Donkeys were used for civil, not military processions. And so when Jesus enters Jerusalem some three years later after meeting uh, with Philip and Nathaniel, he enters riding on a donkey on this symbol of peace and humility. This is a purposeful statement by Jesus. When Nathaniel says in verse 49, Rabbi, Nathaniel replied, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. He is unequivocally tying two titles for the Messiah to Jesus. He is saying, for sure, you are this king. You are the Messiah. But see, Jesus came to bring true and lasting peace because he didn't come to conquer a government. He didn't come to conquer a nation. He came to conquer sin and death and establish a greater kingdom, a spiritual one. The need that he answers is not the need to be saved from Roman occupation. The need that he answers is the need to be saved from death, from sin. Though Jesus' heart did break for that. Jesus didn't come to rescue them for a hundred years or a thousand years. He came to rescue his people for eternity. Pastor Tim Keller points out that in John's gospel, Jesus regularly takes our simple questions and he turns them around to help us find what we need most in him. He points to a couple of verses just before today's passage. He talks about John 1, 37 to 39. It says this, the two disciples heard them say this and follow Jesus. When Jesus turned and noticed them following him, he asked, what are you looking for? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? So their question is, where are you staying? Jesus says, come and see. So he replies, so they went and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day. It was about four in the afternoon. He doesn't answer their question. This, in this case, he shows them something else, but over and over and over, he turns these things around. Keller writes, here we begin to see the multi-level meetings, meanings in some of John's simple language. Regularly in this gospel, people are talking on the physical level, and Jesus is taking their language and leading them to deeper, to the spiritual level, using the same language. For example, in John 3, 3 to 8, Nicodemus is talking about physical birth, and Jesus is talking about spiritual birth. In John 4, 7 to 14, the woman at the well is talking about water from a physical well, and Jesus is talking about spiritual water that he will give. In John 6, 30 to 51, the crowds asked for physical bread, but Jesus meant that he was the living bread. The Pharisees deal with a man who was given physical sight in John 9, and Jesus speaks of spiritual sight. Verse 39, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. So when Jesus says in John 1, 37, what are you seeking? He was asking something deeper than they think. They were people who followed Jesus seeking the wrong thing. In John chapter 6, verse 26, he says, You are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the bread. So he's asking John's disciples here, What are you seeking? I think he would ask us the same question. What are we seeking? Fam, I don't know what you experienced this last year. I don't know what you're struggling with right now. I don't know what fears, worries, or anxieties you're worried about in this next year. I don't know what questions you're asking God right now or what you're hoping that he will answer for you. But I want to share a quote from author Francis Frangipane. It's in his book, I Will Be Found By You, Reconnecting with the Living God, the Key That Unlocks Everything Important. And Francis writes, Thus have I discovered that each time I seek the Lord, 
the deliberate movement of my heart towards him leads me into far more than a simple answer for my need. In seeking God, I actually find him. I reconnect with the living one, my rescuer, my redeemer, and the restorer of my soul. I have an answer, but I also have an ally whose wisdom is all-encompassing and whose incalculable power can transform all things with just the look of his gaze. Notice what Jesus says to Nathanael in verse 50. Jesus responded to him, Do you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. Jesus just answered one of Nathanael's deepest questions. Where's God? When will he show up? When are you going to rescue us? He, he, he answers that Jesus in himself is the answer to that. And he says, that's, that's just the beginning. Come, follow me. Today we can still come, follow Jesus. We can do that by reading the Bible. It's God's word to us. It's living. It's alive. It's still his voice to our hearts. We can do it by praying, which is talking to and quietly listening to God in prayer. I would, I would posit that most of us spend more time talking at God than listening to him. And honestly, allowing others to speak into us, as we talked about in that very beginning, how important for self-reflection it is to actually have people speak into our lives. That's Christian community. That's an important part of us learning and growing together as people. But all of this is about simply allowing Christ, simply being open to what Christ is doing and participating in that relationship with him. It's awesome that we don't have to get it right first. The shocking thing about Christianity is that it's not, here's what we have to do to find God. Christianity is about God coming to earth, dying on the cross for us, So here's what we have talked about today. Because Jesus knows who we truly are, he is the answer we truly want, whether we realize it or not. We saw how Jesus is the answer to our deepest questions and also to our deepest needs. And so, fam, as we wrap up this year, let's make it a priority to follow Jesus into the new one. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we conclude this time of worship and service, we reflect on the things that were said today through praise and through scripture. We express our gratitude for all you are doing in us and through us. As we prepare to leave, we ask that you help us to love you and everyone around us with all we are and have. May the way we live bring you glory and may we carry the message of your love and grace with us wherever we go. To this community of Christ apprentices, I now pronounce this benediction. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the unity of the Holy Spirit abide with us always. May our love for Jesus and people continue to grow. Go and be the church.